All right, everybody. I think we have uh, all our technical difficulties worked out. Um, this is probably going to end up being my first episode of my own podcast, which we are, you know, lovingly calling the, the Game Trail Podcast. Uh, a little bit of play on words, you know. People like to hunt game trails. My name's Trail, which is a weird name anyway. But uh, first episode, and I think we got our equipment set up, which I am, I am technologically uh, disadvantaged. I, I'm just not good with it. So, like, I, I, I got all the stuff set up here. Hopefully, it's recording. It says it's recording. It looks like you're you're at least here, so I see you. Uh, We're good to go. Yeah, but I got uh, I got Chris Neville. He's going to be my um, my inaugural. Is it inaugural? Is that the word? The first the first podcast the first, to launch. The first podcast launch. So, I got my buddy Chris hey. Neville. Uh, Chris Neville used to be part of the Big Hunt Guys podcast, and – I would think, I think the first several episodes that we did, um, probably the first like 20 <laughs> where you weren't there, uh, the most commonly asked question is where's Chris Neville? So give us a run, give us a rundown where you're at. Yeah. So back in November, I moved out to Fort Collins, Colorado, mm-hmm. still, still working for Go Hunt, doing their video content stuff, but now working remote. So it's not as easy for me to be in the office doing podcasts anymore so we thought it was best just to kind of why what take me out the podcast why, why'd, you, but, why'd you move to colorado i mean vegas is awesome you know i was really getting sick of the hot heat sweating my ass off all the time but no my uh it was always i knew i wasn't gonna live in vegas forever originally from iowa in the midwest so all my family's back in the midwest my girlfriend is also from the Midwest. She went to CSU right here in Fort Collins for four years. And she actually got a good job opportunity in Fort Collins. So it's kind of the best of both worlds. Like we're ready for something new, go somewhere else besides Vegas, closer to my family, closer to her family. She has a bunch of friends here. We both like Colorado, a lot of hunting opportunity yeah, and outdoor activities and stuff. So we, we moved just like that. How uh been in been in Colorado now for six months. <laughs> How's the move been? Oh, I hate moving. It's the worst. I should say your camera's really blurry. I don't know if you like spit on it or what you did exactly what you got going on, but your your camera's super blurry. Is mine pretty clear? My I wonder if it's my Wi Fi is not fast enough. Might be your Wi Fi. You got slow Wi Fi in Fort Collins. Yeah, yours is clear. Mine looks clear when I look at the screen. Hmm. Well, that's okay. I mean, Neville's a handsome Neville's a handsome guy. You guys, you just gotta trust me. That Neville's a handsome guy. If you can't see him clearly, he's a little bit blurry. You just gotta trust me. The guy's the guy's a look. The guy's a looker. We are wearing the same shirt today too. By That's the way. right. We didn't even coordinate that. We jumped on the call, and that was the first thing I said was, "Hey, look, we got the same shirt on," which is one of my favorite shirts. The, yeah, the exact same shirt. Yeah, but yeah, the Stone Glacier, um, Go Hunt, Rocky Mountain Goat Foundation shirt. So how's it going in Colorado? Are you liking it? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been great so far. Completely different from Vegas, obviously, you know, excited about the hunting opportunity. It's pretty pissed that I missed the, so like the deadline to become a resident and like the deadline for the Colorado apps, like I missed by 15 days or something. So I was still a non-resident in the application, which sucked, Yeah. but you know, I've already went out. I just like the aspect of being able to go, hunt you know in my backyard essentially now yeah we were talking er- no not we were talking earlier you're, not at- you're basically like a non-resident of, of anywhere right right now you're non-resident in every I'm state in limbo 
It sucks. You're like I'm a nobody. You're like uh, what's that movie Castaway? You're like Tom Hanks in Castaway. You're just you're out on an, yeah. you're out on an island with your own you know your little volleyball. It's just you and Wilson. Yeah. Oh, because I was doing that, looking into that too for the Nevada draw that just happened in in May, and I'm technically not a resident for Nevada either. Yeah. So yeah, I'm just in the kind of the no man's land for application season. But I mean, I wasn't for Colorado. I wasn't planning on burning my points. Like I've I've eight elk points, gonna have nine next next year, and I should draw the unit next year that I'm. I was looking at, so I was planning on just doing over the counter stuff anyway here in Colorado. Yeah, that's one ben- which I'm excited. One benefit of yeah, moving, which right? I'm excited about. I guess what? Yeah, I'm not used to uh, being able to like you know hunt in your home state, really. Whereas like Nevada, I lived there for five years and had one deer tag <laughs> in five years, so all all my hunts were seven, eight hour drives, completely different areas, hardly scouted. So I kind of like that aspect of being able to you know go to places close to home, take me a couple hours. I can actually scout, be on the mountains more, probably end up having more days of hunting by living in a state like Colorado. Yeah. And that's one benefit. I mean, we, we've talked about it, but Colorado, you moved to Colorado, you know, your, your preference points as a non-resident, you know, you got options in Colorado because there's so many hunts and so many units and, you know, there's a lot of opportunity there, but as a resident, your your odds go up for some hunts that you couldn't really even consider as a non-resident because now your points mean so much more, right, as a resident? Yeah. Yeah, especially some of those mule deer units, just like one preference point compared to, you know, resident versus non-resident, you have a lot more opportunity to look at. And, you know, obviously I like elk better than mule deer, so there's no better state than Colorado for elk. <laughs> for, for now. Wyoming. Wyoming's pretty good. I do like Wyoming, but – yeah over the counter elk it's it's still pretty nice so yeah looking forward to doing some of that we were uh we were talking a little bit earlier i mean one of the benefits of moving to fort collins you'd said that it's a pretty active archery community it sounds like you've been getting out you've got an archery league you've been shooting yeah so we have uh yeah there's an archery range right in outdoor archery range it's got like targets out to 100 yards and then every wednesday there's a league in the summer 3d they have tournaments on the weekends. And the first tournament, they it's like it's called the Arctic Shoot, which is like the first tournament of the year. I mean, I'll, I was just moved here. I don't really know too many people. And it's just thinking like, oh, I'll probably be, you know, 70 people show up. I get there and it's like 300 guys show up to shoot this archery tournament in February, which I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> did you kick some ass? There's a lot more. There's a lot more hunters here than I thought. I did all right. Not too bad. Come on, no. No, nothing. It wasn't. It, it wasn't like a crazy course. I think the further shot was like sixty yards. Yeah, but that's uh, yeah, it wasn't too. That's bad. light work for you, isn't it? Sixty. <laughs> Depends on the day. Depends on the wind. <laughs> you get plenty of wind out there, I bet. Oh God. Yeah, this time of year it's it's super windy, and that's always like the shitty part. I'm always like looking at my window. I'm like, all right. How bad's the wind today, and is it worth going out to even shoot? Because there's nothing worse. You show up to the range like super excited to shoot, and it's just windier and shit, and you can't hit anything. Yeah, that's uh, that's my reality in Cedar City. I mean, the springtime, and typically from April, May, June. I mean, the weather's nice. It's not too you know too hot or too cold, but the wind is just nonstop. I I it's a wonder I've got any shingles left on my house because I kind of live out west of town. It's just a straight south wind all spring long, and it can be 
I mean, it's a guaranteed like 10 miles an hour at night. And sometimes, I mean, you'll get 50, 60. I mean, it, it really blows. <laughs> Pun intended. Have you guys been getting a bunch of rain? You know, we haven't had any rain, man. We Lately? we had a hell of a winter. I mean, it, it snowed a ton. I mean, we were getting snow like even into April and some late, late. I mean, typically we get like snow, maybe like the first week of March. We'll have like one good snowstorm right before, you know, the elk start to shed, which is like mid-March. But we were getting snow like even in April, early April this year. So, I mean, we're having a banner, you know, banner snow year. So, it's it's good. It's just yeah, we, no, no rain, though. We, we've gotten rain for the last five days. And we got all the snow melt. It's like flooding here in Fort Collins. Yeah. You guys, uh, you out of the flooding, have any issues there? Uh, Not too bad yet. I know there's a couple, like, flood warnings and watches if it keeps raining, which, like, in the forecast, it looks like it's supposed to rain for, like, seven more days. <laughs> It's good for antler growth. That's right. That's it. Grow, grow those big bucks says, and bulls. I don't have any. I don't have any Colorado takes in my pocket yet. Though. Not yet. You might have to go over the counter, but you're gonna you're gonna get some. You got options. I got options. I'm thinking. I gotta go do some shed hunting. <laughs> I've already had a bunch of people hit me up like, "Dude, you've been out shed hunting? It's May 1st. I'm like, ah. No, not yet. Yeah. Do you, do you like shed hunting? Do you get out? I mean, we had a whole podcast on it this, yeah. this week here at uh, the office, the Big Hunt Guys podcast. We had Branson and Braden in the office, and Lorenzo related to those guys. Yeah. Related to those guys, pretty good. Just being a grown up Easter egg hunt. But what uh, you you like shed hunting? I mean, I'm not like super crazy about it. Like, I don't mind going out looking for some sheds. Mostly like scouting some spots or like some areas that I've been to before and. You know, see what I can pick up, but it's not like something I'm like obsessed about. Like I have to go do this every single weekend for six weeks straight. Yeah. I like hunt. I like actual hunting. Like that's like my mindset when I'm like chasing the animal. Even when I was turkey hunting a couple of weeks ago, it's like, all right, every weekend, anytime I have off, I'm going to go try to shoot a turkey. But for sheds, I don't know. They don't, they're cool when you find them and you get pretty pumped, but I don't, I'm not like super obsessed. Like, a lot of people are out here about sheds. You're not taking weeks off of work to go shed hunting? <laughs> no. Yeah. We had, uh, when we had Branson on, it was, he brought something up that I thought, you know, I've thought about it before, but I hadn't really put much thought into it. But it's like, uh, I was thinking about the, the states or the areas that seem to be more fanatical about shed hunting. And I was trying to figure out like, why is it, you know, is it just cultural? And I think if you look at the states like Utah, fanatical shed hunters, right? I mean, it's part of the culture, and there's been increasingly more and more people getting out shed hunting uh, every year. Same with Nevada, you know, rules and regs, and same with Wyoming. And it seems to me like those states where those tags are hard to come by in a state like Utah, Nevada, I mean, they're hard to draw. I mean, something that he said was, you know, I'll never get the opportunity to, to hunt these units, probably. You know, I won't be able to hunt the Ponsagon for deer, or I won't be able to hunt the Monroe or the Beaver for elk. So I'm like, in those cases, it makes sense to me because, you know, those guys are never going to get a chance to actually have a tag in their pocket to go hunting. So, I mean, shed hunting is like the mm -hmm. next best thing. They don't have to pack the meat out. They just go out and they get the treasure that they're searching for. So I, I kind of get it. It's making more sense to me. When he was talking about that, I was like, oh, yeah, I can see that. And that's probably why it's most, so much more popular in a state like Utah or Nevada. Yeah. I mean, I think he just likes antlers, but she doesn't like antlers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> are you an antler sniffer? I like to eat them. Yeah. I like to pour. Some, I like to grind them up and dump them in my coffee. Yeah. <laughs> Snort it. It's I, I know why you do. Yeah. <laughs> I know why, man. New, <laughs> you and Abby, you guys are still in that stage. Yeah, of, stage of your relationship, I think. Give me that extra tea. That's it. That's it. <laughs> That's exactly. It. <laughs>
but so um i think i think i will probably get out and do some shit hunting though mm-hmm. yeah i hope so i mean it's fun it really is fun you know i think back on to some really fun shit hunts that i've been on it's just it's a fun time of year to be out i mean everything's greening up the weather's warming up you get out it is a little, a little bit like an easter egg but who, do, who doesn't like an easter egg hunt like when you're a kid you, right. you get a chance to go find some treasure it's amazing that's exactly right same, same kind of deal and i don't I mean, it's been a long time since I've sold any sheds. I got a pile I need to, to offload in my garage and probably pay off some of my credit card bills. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's fun, man. I get it. I get it with people. I'm not fanatical about it. Uh, I don't know if it's just like that stage in my life. My kids are so damn busy. It seems like I can't really carve out weekends in the spring. It's almost come to a point where, like, I have to pick and choose. Like, I can't take you know, 40 days off or whatever it is in the fall to go hunt deer and elk. And then also like another 15 or 20 in the spring to go shed hunting. So mm-hmm. just stage of life. But for, you know, guys like, you no kids yet. <laughs> I got, I got, I got to ask B Jack and what, what his tips are. How does he find all the sheds? What do you say? I mean, just, just I think B Jack and he just gets out there. I think he just, you know, cruises around. I think it's just time spent for him, but like in talking to Braden, and then other guys that I know that are like really good shed hunters that pick up a ton of sheds. I know I'm, I'm thinking specifically one dude that I know, you know, from my past, that guy is just beyond patient. Like he will grid out a hillside, like 15, 20 foot swaths. I mean, he will just grid a hillside and I get, I get wanderlust, you know, I'm like, okay, I looked at this ridge or this face. I'm going to the next one, you know, and I probably, I probably miss five or six sheds on that face. And, you know, I've moved on to the other one by then and, and I'm probably picking up two or three where he's picking up way more than I am. And it's cause he's just got so much more patience and persistence. Yeah. That's me too. I'm more, I'm more out there just walking around, hiking, enjoying. And then if I stumble across a shed, then I stumble across the shed. <laughs> yeah. You keep them or you sell them? No, I keep them. You do just keep a pile. You got a bunch back there in your, your background looks like. Uh, those are i have no room in this house so these are elk these are like my year mounts i stacked them up yeah do you have any mount do you ever actually have any mounted you mounted anything mounted an elk Mm-mm, too big no room <laughs> yeah. not yet you're waiting to, this, to build your mansion right yeah i mean i need some higher ceilings these ceilings are barely six foot in here how does uh how would abby feel about having you having a bunch of mounts in your house she doesn't mind them too bad. Too bad. Too bad. I think it depends. She likes, you know, some, you know, every elk kind of looks a little bit different. Oh, yeah. She likes like the perfectly symmetrical, like nice, long times. She likes the big ones. I got to start shooting bigger elk. That's it. It's tough to do. Yeah. Tough, tough. Is, I gotta st- has she finished Hunter's Ed? Is she showing any interest? She did. Oh, she did. Is she going elk hunting this year? She did finish her Hunter's Ed like last month. I think and then yeah she said she wants to uh she wants to like come out with me before she like goes out and actually has to like pulls the trigger yeah she wants to like shadow me yeah that's good man it's fun you guys will have a good see, time and see what's going on she'll probably sh- yeah. she'll probably shoot one and want to mount it you know it's usually the first one's the biggest one for those kind of hunters yeah i'll go out first time shoot a giant yeah yeah for sure <laughs> absolutely <laughs> So we're, I don't want to keep it too long. I'm trying to keep these like, you know, hour, hour 15. We may run a little bit longer. It's okay. But, um, I guess the kind of the point of my pot, I don't know if there's a point of it, to be honest, it's, you know, maybe a bit of a bullshit session, but I also do want to, you know, do podcasts that are maybe a little bit more gear focused. Um, you know, and I know 
you're 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 primarily a bow hunter. You like to rifle hunt too, though, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Archery is definitely my my go-to. Well, you, why? Uh, I think it's what I grew up with. Being from Iowa, one archery seasons give you the best opportunity to hunt longer and have better chance of shooting a bigger whitetail. Plus, back in the day when when I was in Iowa, living when I was little, like there was no rifle hunting. There's just archery season, and there's like a five day, ten day shotgun season, and then a ten day muzzleloader season. Then it was back to archery season. So you didn't. So there wasn't really there was no rifle hunting that I grew up around. So you didn't grow up rifle hunting at all. No, no. So it was archery, straight to archery, archery all the way. And how strict archery? How old were you when you started archery hunting? I started when I was twelve years old. That's pretty. Started shooting bow. It's pretty young to start bow hunting. Yeah. I feel like maybe maybe it's different because I mean I grew up out west, but I think about my own kids. You know, I've got a thirteen year old, eighteen year old. You know, I've got a he'll be eleven. My youngest, and I think about the possibility of getting those guys actually out bow hunting. It's a little bit intimidating for me. So it's interesting i I think whitetail is probably a good species to get youth involved in bow hunting because it's a much more controlled situation you're hunting from a tree stand or blind yeah and in iowa 12 is so that's the youngest legal age that you can go hunt by yourself by yourself so yeah so like no my my mom or dad and no one in my family hunts Mm -hmm. so i had to wait till i was 12 years old to be able to go hunting basically so right when i turned 12 i got my hunter safety Got my bow and did you, was out did you, sitting in a tree by myself. <laughs> did you buy your own bow? How'd that work? How'd you even know what to buy? Uh, I got a bow for Christmas. I think I was like, I was always asking for bows for like Christmas and stuff. And I got, my first bow was like a Browning Micromitis mm-hmm. 2 bow. It comes in like the plastic. It came in like a huge plastic case. I got, that was my, my first bow. Yeah, I remember, and I remember those stuff. all set up. Yeah, just full full set, ready to go. But yeah, other than that, I had no clue what I was doing. A lot of times, I just go into sportsman's and and ask ask those guys. I remember, like when I was little, I always thought the biggest broadhead, and I would just screw on the biggest broadheads ever. They <laughs> could never get into fly straight. Just shooting all over the place. Yeah, are you shooting into hay bales, or do you have a target? Yeah, I think I had like some hay bales and like a couple targets, and I like I don't even think I looked at like the grains on them. I just go into the store and just look for the biggest broadhead possible, and just buy a pack of them and head out. Yeah, <laughs> it didn't work. I did. The crazy thing is, twelve years old, first year of bowling, I shot a whitetail. The very first year. How? How? Very a a buck or a doe? It was a buck, like a tiny little six point. From a tree stand? From a tree stand. How, how far? It had to have been like 10, 15 yards probably. What do you uh, What do you remember from that, huh? I'm curious. Like, what was that experience like for you? Like, what do you remember? If you If you go back, if you go back in little little Chris Neville's mind, what do you remember? What do you remember from that experience? Uh, I remember wanting to shoot something really bad. Any? I mean, was anything? Were you flinging uh, arrows at anything that came into range back then? I think I wanted to shoot a buck because like my brother was three years older than me. So I used to always go out and sit with him 
So like when I was younger than 12, like I would just sit with him and I saw him shoot a couple bucks. So it was kind of like a competition. Like I wanted to shoot a buck too. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I was like willing to kill like any buck that came walking by, like super bloodthirsty for sure. Yeah. I've been, uh, and it, go ahead. No, you can go. I was just going to, I was just going to, I was going to say, I've been going through Hunter's education with my youngest kid and we've been doing the online version. And last night we were sitting there for maybe an hour, hour and a half kind of running through one of the sections and the section was like stages of the hunter. And like the first stage is just shot. So like your whole goal is just to get a shot, you know, and then the next stage is to actually fill your permit regardless of, you know, whatever it is, you know, fill your quota, fill your tag, you know, third stage trophy hunter. Um, I can't remember, I should know this, but fourth and fifth stage with the, the last stage is like be, you know, true, true sportsman, if you will. Right. So like you enjoy the whole experience. And, uh, it's interesting. Yeah. I, th I think you're right. Like that first stage is just like shots. You just want to shoot anything that comes into range. Right. Yeah. Just want to kill. something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Want to kill something. Did you make a good shot on that deer? Uh, I remember, so I shot it and it was like a little bit back mm -hmm. and I think we like blood trailed a little bit and like left it overnight and I went to school the next day. Cause I would just come home from school and I just hunt in the evenings and then like on the weekends I'd hunt morning and evenings, but most of the time I just come home from school and go in my backyard and hunt deer. So I went, I left it overnight and then I went back and like I had one of my friends come out with me. And I remember like the whole entire day we were like looking at deer diaphragms and stuff like on the internet and pictures of like, I think I shot it like right here. Like mm -hmm. it's gotta be, it's gotta be close. Like back lungs, liver kind of thing. But yeah, then we ended up finding it that next day after school how'd you, in the same spot. How do you know what, did, I mean, I assume you said your brother had probably, had he killed the buck before you did? Like he, he killed, he, killed deer? Uh, I want to say he killed, I can't, I might've been the first one to kill a deer actually. Now that I think about it. Yeah. Cause I want to say like, I think I, I killed that deer. And then I think after that he killed a buck. How'd you know what to do with it? Well, I had one friend who's like, I grew up with best friend, like super good friend. His dad was a hunter. Mm -hmm. So I had him come over and he like showed me what to do basically. He, he, but yeah. so he came over and walked you through the process. Yeah. That was always the thing. My dad always said, he'd always get pissed. He's like, we're going to shoot, you're going to shoot it. Then what are you going to do with it? Yeah. I'm always like, I don't know. I'm sure I'll figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you, you probably would have, but it is nice that you had some sort of mentor there. You know what? Your buddy's dad, you know, to kind of come over yeah. and show you the ropes. I think about that quite a yeah, lot. My, my oldest, or my, my, my second oldest, no, my third oldest brother. Sorry. I got five, but not brothers, but just five in the family. But, um, yeah, my third oldest brother right now is kind of getting back into hunting. He hunted a little bit as a kid, but I don't think he ever actually filled a permit, but he's kind of getting back into, it. I think he's out bear hunting actually he lives in Idaho right now. But I remember sitting down with him at my, my mom's kitchen table here last year and basically taking a pen and paper and just drawing a diagram for him of a deer and or an elk or, you know, whatever, and saying, you know, this is what you need to do. These are the, the cuts of meat. This is how you get it out. And I remember sitting there looking at him and him asking a bunch of questions, but I just remember thinking, man, this thing's, it seems so intimidating. 
like it, and I remember feeling that myself. Like I remember the first time I killed a bull elk. I remember my dad just basically saying, we gutted everything back then. Cause it's been a hundred years ago. But, um, I remember him basically just saying, Hey, everything on the inside has to be on the outside. So however you got to make that happen, just make it happen. Right. And that's kind of what I told my brother, but like, there really is no way, you know, you can kind of be told just a, a basic idea of how to do it. Uh, but reality is like, you just got to grab a knife and go to work and just do it and just see what it comes out as. <laughs> yeah. And for the most part, white tail's pr- pretty easy. Cause like mm-hmm. I was never like deep boning it. Right. I would just gut them mm-hmm. and I drag them to like an area I could get my four wheeler to and then tie them up to my four wheeler and drag them home. Yeah. And then like a lot of times you just take it into a butcher, like full, full deer. What did, uh, what'd your parents think? I mean, they didn't hunt either one of them, but were they supportive of it? Like they eat it? Did your mom cook it? Uh, yeah, they were supportive of it. I don't think they, they would eat it. Like when we'd make it, you know, being like good parents, like, Oh yeah, let's yeah. eat your deer steaks you made for us. But like if they were making dinner, they weren't reaching into the freezer, like grabbing my your white tailed deer that I shot in the backyard. But yeah, they're, they're always super supportive of it. And, and we're always like encouraging us to, you to know, get out and go follow our dreams. Yeah. Do, do, do those kind of things. I mean, they, they both have like appreciation for the outdoors and like nature mm-hmm. and, and that kind of stuff, but just never hunting yeah. side of things. Yeah. Being a parent myself, I can think of like, if I had the opportunity, especially my youngest kid who just will, I mean, he'll probably listen to this someday, but like the kid just never stops talking. Like he just talks all the time. Like, <laughs> There'll be times when he's driving with me, he'll be in the backseat and I'll get to some place and I'll realize that like he's talked the entire way. And I'm like, I can't remember anything he said because he just talks so much. I'm just like tune out, you know? So like the opportunity for me to just like send him out in the woods, if he got home from school every day and was, you know, interested enough and we had a place close enough that I felt safe to just send him out, I'd be like, hell yeah, go, <laughs> go, go sit in a tree and see what you can do. And we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out after, but yeah, just go do something. So I, I can totally understand that perspective from your parents, you know, just, Hey Chris, see ya. <laughs> Go, go out in the yard. Go out in the yard. Go, go. For... I tell them all the time, just go do something. I don't care what you do. Just go do something, right? <laughs> Quit talking. Quit talking. Just, you're driving me bananas. Just go do something. So I totally get that. Oh, yeah. That's hilarious. So that's really cool though. I mean, my, Micro Midas too. I remember that, Bo. Um, that's, that's pretty awesome. I think it's really cool that, uh, you know, you kind of pursued it. I, I always think about that in terms of like how hard it actually is to get into hunting, you know, whether you're starting as an adult or even, you know, in your case as a kid, a couple of kids that just have an interest in it for whatever reason, something sparked in you guys, you guys decided that you want to go hunting. You kind of had to carve that out yourself, you know? And I, I think about, I've got neighbor kids that hunt and I don't know, it's interesting. I, I think I could definitely be a better mentor, not just to my own kids, but to, to just people in general. So, because mm-hmm. it, it is, t- yeah, it I, is I, tough. I can see, t- I mean, I was fortunate, like I lived out in the country, like 12 acres mm-hmm. of woods. So like doing that kind of stuff was like super accessible and easy to do all the time. Mm-hmm. But like if I was in town, when I lived in town, like I don't know. Yeah, it'd be hard. If I would have been able to do like the same things that I did mm-hmm. kind of thing. But at least now everybody has the internet, right? You can pull up the internet. If yeah. you really wanted to do it, you could probably figure it out on your own. It might, it might take you a while as a kid to kind of figure it out, but every resource is available to you. So 
anyway. Yep, just makes make a lot of mistakes. That's that's it. That's what I remember when I was twelve to like fourteen, fifteen. Mm-hmm. Self-taught then. Just shooting shit all over the place, <laughs> bad hits, misses. Yeah. Yeah, and I I think just, I think that's one thing. I don't think that we. I don't know. There's so much pressure now. It seems like, especially if people feel like they want to post anything to social media, it just seems like there's so much pressure to make the perfect shot every time. You know, I think we probably all need to be better at giving people leeway to make mistakes and figure it out on their own. You know, hunting's not, it's not, I mean, even now at this stage in life for me and I've hunted forever, it's not as clear cut, you know, black and white as it might seem. There's definitely some gray areas in there. So I don't, we, we need to be more forgiving and let people figure it out on their own and be okay to make some mistakes. And a lot of times you don't know until you do it. That's it. Until you try. And then you know, like, all right, maybe I should do this shot or why did this not work? Yeah. What happened here that you can learn from and then use? Yeah. Yeah. And let's down the road. Let's, uh, let's dive in a little bit of that. Um, so I had some questions I wanted to ask you. Um, and we're going to kind of dive into what you, a little bit of what you just said. We'll hopefully tail into it. But um, so I wanted to ask you, you obviously started bow hunting as a kid. Uh, at what point did you start setting up your own bows and arrows? And what was that process like for you? I want to say, I think arrows, yeah, I think I've always been doing for you know, a decent amount of time. I mean, arrows is like kind of like your first Mm-hmm. like entry level into you know doing something yourself i think i would still get them like pre-cut but like having all of the gear like saw bow press like all set up bow vice i want to say i was like 22 mm-hmm. i think it was like right when i first started working at go hunt so like six years ago i had like all of my own equipment to do all my own bow work what why like why did you do it I'm curious. Uh, and would you recommend it? I think I would recommend it. I think it's a, especially if you, if it, if it archery you're super passionate about it, it's something you like to do. Like, I think being able to understand and know more about every little tiny detail of your bow arrow, whatever it is, <laughs> I think, uh, having all that equipment allows you to actually like learn more about your bow, your equipment, all the tiny details that make an arrow fly straight, what makes it shoot better than not. So yeah, I would definitely recommend it to anyone that's like super passionate about it. I mean, your money's well worth spent, something you're going to have forever. Like that's not like it's just going to yeah go away. Like a bow press is a bow press. It's going to be the same for the next 20 years probably. Yeah. And then I was just, I was sick of, you know, going into the archery shop and then I had a couple, I was just like, I don't know couple bad experiences in the archery shop with you know you don't care about your gear more than yourself yeah nobody so, nobody yeah. cares about your equipment better, more than you yeah so i mean like nothing nothing against archery shops like, a lot of them do really good work and do good jobs but there's a couple of times where it's like you know they're super busy they're kind of moving stuff through going pretty quick first where if it's my thing like I care about it a lot. Like I'm going to spend the time needed to make it right. Kind of thing. Yeah. And I mean, th- so. th- things can happen. Things fall out of tune. I mean, string stretch, you know, your cam timing may come out of, out of timing. 
you may decide to switch up, uh, you know, the, the weight of your arrow or a, a release, right? So at that point, maybe you get a different impact point and rather than have to run to an archery shop every single time you need some sort of adjustment and then go through that entire process with them, you know, you just have the ability to do it yourself, which mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's always interesting. It's interesting to me. I've got, I've got a lot of buddies that are hardcore hunters that don't do any of their own work. You know, they'll bring me a bow and, you know, I'll put new strings on it and tune it for them, uh, or they'll take it to a shop and, I don't know. They seem super intimidated by it. Um, Were you intimidated by that process? Like, how'd you figure it out? I just watched YouTube. YouTube? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everything's on there, right? Right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I wasn't super intimidated. I had like a, I had a decent idea of how things, I've always been someone who like asks a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. Like I'm like super curious about like why something needs to be done like this or I think that's just kind of like kind of who I am. So I think that also lends to me wanting to do my own work on my bow. You ever, like, you ever afraid of messing it up? Like when you first started? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. All the time. <laughs> Dude. And I remember I did mess it up a couple of times How? for sure. What do you, what do you remember? I think, uh, I know one time when I was like burning on like a serving onto my peep site, mm-hmm. like the fl- I had the flame and it got too close and I like burnt some of my string mm-hmm. and like started fraying. And like my string was basically toast, so I had to buy a new string, like right off, <laughs> right off the bat. Yep, I've done that. But yeah, that one sucks. <laughs> yeah, I've I've done that. I've bought I've bought brand new strings before, and this hasn't even been that long ago. Bought bought strings and went to tie a peep in. Got the flame a little bit too close and melted some of the the individual strands. Yeah, and you're thinking like, ah, oh, I wonder how long I can get away with this. <laughs> you're just like. And then, it, and then it just eats you away because then you just keep shooting and you're just like, all right. Yeah, man. It's not, it's not worth it. It messes with your head. No. no, it's not worth it, man. That's head games. And then there's also some safety issues there where if that string comes apart at full draw. I had a buddy actually that I didn't do his work, just throwing that out there. But he, uh, his bow came, uh, his string came apart at the peep site. And I don't know if it's because the peep was tied in too tight or if, you know, it's like we're saying if there was a couple of strands that were burnt in that process of tying in his peep, but it came apart at full draw and the, the string came across the top of the cam and went right down the back of his hand. And it wasn't like, you know, stitches or anything, but it, it laid him open pretty good on the back of his hand. There's a lot of energy in those things. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, for the most part, I wasn't too worried about messing anything up. I mean, like setting up just like, you know, tying, putting the peep site, like a lot of that's, it, it's fairly general. I think like the tuning, you know, top hats, mm-hmm. putting on your new, putting on different strings. Like there's some of those that are a little more confusing than just like, you know, your general setting up a bow. It's, it's not as complicated as you would think. Just to get like peep in, D loop on, rest on, sight on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it's fairly basic. Yeah. I remember, and this is just a tip for anybody who might listen, but I would say one of the first things I would do now, if you're doing your own, your own work is to take a picture. So take your, take your phone out and take pictures of everything that you've got on your bow, the way it's set up, the way the strings are fed through the cable guard, you know, the, the actual cams themselves, what posts the string and the cables go on to. And if you forget in the process, cause I think that's what happens. I remember that. Like, I remember feeling anxious. Like I got my bow on the press. I started pulling, you know, strings off or cables off of the pegs. And you think like, oh man, I only have so much time to get this done. There's just like anxious feeling that, you know, that right. I've got my bow in the press way too long, you know, it's going to blow up or something. Right. 
and it does seem delicate. I don't think they're nearly as delicate as, you know, you might make them out to be, but I remember thinking, oh, I'm going to screw this thing up. And so I like, you know, taking pictures, it just help you put the thing back together the way that it was before you pulled everything off. So that's just a, a hot tip if you are deciding to no, do your own no. work. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. There's been a, luckily I've had, I've been fortunate where I've had like multiple bows and I'll be like taking off my strings, but I'm like, shit. Mm-hmm. Where does this go? And I'll just have to, and I'll, you know, have my other bow sitting there, another Matthews, and it's, you know, it's basically the same thing. So I have a reference, but yeah, taking pictures definitely highly recommended. A good idea if you start taking your strings off. Yeah, yeah, you start replacing strings, you start doing cam timing, and like, there's, there's the, uh, you know, like the nuances of cam timing. You know, moving, you know, putting twists or taking twists out, you know, to advance or you know, bring your cams around and, and getting them back in time. There's like all these little things that you learn. I mean, I typically tell people like, you can't, you can't screw it up too bad. You know, don't get too crazy when you first start, you know, make notes as you go. So like if you put a twist in the bottom cable, you know, make a note of it so that if you want to go back to default, you can, I think people get themselves in trouble when they start doing a bunch of things and, and then they don't know what they've done and they don't know how to get back to, to where they started. So <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm all I'm always scared when I have to start twisting strings. Are Are you still like intimidated by it? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Yeah, I'm not. Even, I mean, I'll I'll do it every like for cam timing. Mm-hmm. You know, for the most part, which, I mean, what's good about that, right? Is like you do it and you can see the result of what happened. So like you know how to reverse it usually or how to make it go the other way because you can see it instantly when it's when you've done your twist here and there. Yeah. But yeah, I still. Once I have it set, like once it's good, I usually don't don't go digging around and messing around in there too much after that. I think the the further you get along with doing your own stuff, the more likely you are to just like start to tinker with it. You know, throw a twist here or there, um, mess around with your tune, you know, move your rest in and out or whatever it might be. Uh, yeah, it used to intimidate me, but it doesn't too much anymore. And I, I mean, I, I don't think that you can, you can definitely screw up a bow. I mean, there are bows out there that have limb stops and those, you know, as they come around, when you draw those, if you haven't reinstalled the limb stop and that cam rotates completely over, you can definitely screw up your bow. Like there's, there's definitely things that you can do. You could, you should be a little bit intimidated, but by and large, I think it's way more doable than people think. And you yeah, know, you, sure. you definitely have to do the research. You have to do, you know, due diligence before you decide to get into it, but it's way more doable than you think. And every resource is available to you. So that's interesting. No, do, you, do you like setting yeah. up a bow? Do you like tinkering? Oh, uh, it's a love hate. I think. Yeah. Depends on the day. Sometimes I like doing it. And if it like whatever I do actually works, then I love it. <laughs> But then if I do something and it doesn't work, then I get, I start to get pissed. I'm like, just get frustrated of like, what happened? How'd I do that? Then I'm like doing, doing more work. I'm like, usually one of those, I like try to set up the best I can the first time I do it. Mm. So I try to take as much time and try to set it up as accurate as best as possible. So that I don't have to go, have to go back to it. I mean, cause you know, depending on what kind of changes you're doing every time you're tinkering with it. Mm-hmm. So you can start messing with your confidence, you know, you have to change sight tapes. Like everything just takes a little bit longer to just like shoot your bow accurately as much as possible to get as comfortable with it. So that's, that's kind of like where I like to get it set up as best I can, 
make sure everything's in tune, shooting good, and then just shoot it a bunch, get as comfortable with it as possible, get my sight tape on, and just keep shooting. Yeah. I'd rather I'd rather be shooting than like tinkering. Tinkering, yeah. Yeah, and you you, you can chase your own until, tail a lot. Oh yeah, and it's always that thing too. A lot of people, you know, trying to get like that much accurate or you know just a little bit, but I don't know. I feel I'm not like a professional shooter by any means. So mm-hmm. it's sometimes it's hard for me to justify like how much more accurate I can be by like a slight change of you know tinkering with my bow versus the headache mm-hmm. in like the time. Yeah. So it's weighing those options back and forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, but I do need to do some tinkering with it right now. Yeah. I, I, I feel like personally, like my, I, I'm like you, my process is like, I want to set that thing up as, as perfectly as I possibly can the first time, you know, take the time to set it up, make sure my cam timing's good. Make sure I feel like my, my knocking point is in the spot that it wants to be in or should be in. Uh, make sure that my draw length feels, you know, perfect for me. And there's some wiggle room in that. I feel like every bow, even, even bows that are the exact same model, same specs of the bows, it feels to me like sometimes there's like a little bit of difference in the, the draw length. Um, you know, even how much you have the cams to, or the, you know, the, sorry, did you hear that? I just got an email. <laughs> sorry about that. Anyway, <laughs> but, um, you know, like even, even the little, the little differences, like how much you have your limbs turned out can impact your, your draw length, your, your draw weight, all those things, the way the bow feels like there's all those little things, but, I'm, I'm like you, I try to set it up as precisely as I possibly can the first time and then, uh, you know, go out and shoot it and shoot it a ton. And I feel like if it's just not quite right, then I start tinkering a little bit with it. Um, and, I, and I'm, I feel like I hit a point with a bow usually, uh, after I've got it set up and then I've put a bunch of arrows through it and I've maybe done a little bit of tinkering here and there, whether it's with a rest or, you know, cam timing or draw length. I feel like I hit a point where I'm like, yeah, I feel comfortable with this bow. And at that point I just shoot the damn thing. Just, mm-hmm. just as many reps as I can get in, you know, I, I feel like it's tuned. I can shoot it through paper. I feel like I got a good bolt hole. Uh, I feel like my broadheads are flying good and you know, the draw length feels comfortable draw weight. I just get, I'm like at a point, it's usually about, I would say like, you know, June, June, maybe even like first part of July. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, this thing is set. I'm just going to shoot it. Is, is that how you look well, at it? A lot of times it? like, yeah, after like the, your first, like your first initial setup, I mean, I like to spend a lot of time with it because one, I could be a little rusty as well. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of kind of getting myself back into shooting form. Because the better the better the shot you are, you start to see you like where your bow, where your equipment is failing you. Whereas you know, sometimes if you don't give it enough time and like actually shoot a lot, mm-hmm. like you don't know where your equipment's going to be failing you because you're you know there's too many variables to pinpoint down why you had a bad shot. First now, like I'm kind of got kind of back into my shooting form and, you know, I know for the most part, like I can start to pinpoint where, you know, something's off, where that be my rest, my knocking point, you know, something, something with my equipment where I, I feel comfortable with my shot itself. That's not breaking down. That it's something with my equipment. Yeah. Shooter shapes are real, that, a real deal, isn't it? Like, oh, yeah. I, I used to think like, ah, it's just shooting a bow, you know, and even little things, I, I'm one of those people that's always said, like, if I don't shoot my bow every day, 
like I could shoot my bow today. I could put it down. I could pick it up like, you know, next Wednesday and it'll feel different to me. Like it'll feel slightly different. It'll take me a few days to get to a point where I'm like, yep, this feels comfortable. This is, you know, I'm back to homeostasis if you will, but like shooter shapes are real. It's a real thing. That's like a real issue yeah. way more than I ever would have thought. Yeah, I mean, like even just doing your anchor point mm-hmm. where your hand sitting, like there's a lot of things that can affect like up and down, right to left. That if you don't shoot a lot, like it's hard for you to pinpoint down. Yeah. What, why that's what, what's the cause, right? You know, if your hands twisted a little bit different, you know, the three weeks after you just shot, like you could be shooting, you know, left or right a little bit more. Yeah. Or you could be shooting a little higher or lower depending on your anchor point. So yeah, I, yeah, building that consistency, I think helps with, you know, figuring out what's, what's wrong with like other areas yeah. of whether it be your bow, your arrow, your knocking point, which that's what I found out with my, <laughs> yeah, knocking, my point. knocking point. My re- my center shot isn't quite there and my knocking point, I think might be a touch high. Yeah. I think it's interesting. You see it so much on social media. I think there's a whole thing going on right now with rock slide, the, the cold, you know, cold shot challenge. People basically walk out the door, you know, in the morning or whatever it is, they shoot one arrow and it's, they do like a check in every day. You know, they post a picture of their shot at whatever their effective range is. I think it's good, but like, I don't, I don't fully understand that as far as like, if that is everything that you're doing, like if you're just shooting one arrow a day and like, Hey, this is my cold, you know, this is it. I'm shooting one arrow a day. Like I, that, I just don't understand. Like to me, that would never fly. It would never work for me. Like I have to make that process so automatic that in the moment it's, it's just second nature. Is that how you look at it? Or do you, I mean, how much, how much do you shoot? I shoot a lot. And I would say, I would say most archery hunters don't shoot enough. If I were Mm -hmm. to take an, if you look at all the people that go out and shoot, try to shoot an animal with their bow every year, like I would say three fourths of them do not shoot their bow enough. Yeah. Like not not even close to the amount. I'm I'm in the thinking same as you is, you know, the more you shoot, the more muscle memory, the more repetition, like everything's second nature to you, which helps you in those high stress moments, where you've done you've done that motion so many times, like you, it's just natural. Yeah, like it just it just takes over. I want to go, I want to go back to your tuning process here in a sec, but I, as you were talking, it brought up a question, just like a little miss, uh, a little, I don't know what it's called, but it's something that I hear people say quite a bit. Like you hear people say like, Oh, I'm not a very good shot, but I'm a killer. If you heard people say that, like in the moment, like uh, I'll make the shot happen on an animal, you know, without a doubt, but I'm not that, that good of a shot. Like, what do you, what do you think about that? You got lucky. Got lucky. <laughs> Is that what you think? Yeah, hundred percent. They can, yeah, yeah. I mean, anyone can shoot an arrow once, and it can be a good shot. Mm-hmm. But can you do that fifty times in a row? I that, that's where the consistency in archery is. Where it's obviously a lot harder. Mm-hmm. I think it's. Uh, I think there are definitely people that probably have the mental capacity to like lower their stress level manage a stressful situation better than others. And like if an animal comes out, I think there are definitely people that mentally have that capability more so than other people. Like they don't get rattled as much. So maybe that's part of it, but like that always, it always makes me giggle. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a phenomenal shot. I wouldn't say like, I'm not super accurate. I wouldn't say I've had really good luck on, you know, animals hitting and killing animals. Um, but I, that one always makes me grin. You know, I, I don't know that there's, 
I don't know that those are directly related. I'm a little bit like you. I'm like, yeah, maybe they got lucky. You know, I, I, yeah. I think guys that, you know, shoot a lot, I think you're that much more, um, capable of making that shot. Even if you do have the mental capacity to manage the moment better than somebody else. I think too, it lends to more opportunities. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, someone who shoots more is going to be more comfortable at shooting, you know, further distance, which yeah. obviously lends to more opportunities at animals. Yeah, I agree. So, I, I think there's, I think there's a lot, a lot more pros to shooting more than shooting less. But yeah, I agree. Some people, some people would argue that. Yeah, I agree. What? Uh, let's go back to your tuning process. What does your own tuning process look like? Like when you set up a bow, um, let's say that you've got your, you know, your rest set. At, you think your desired center shot. You've got your knock point set up. You've got your peep installed. Uh, or maybe you don't have your peep installed, I don't know, but you've got your cam timing to where you think it needs to be, uh, you know, stabilizers, everything. you got your bow set up. Like, what does your tuning process look like beyond that? I usually just go shoot it through paper. Mm-hmm. I might, I have, I'll have like a bare shaft, but um, for the most part I'll shoot, like, I try to have the exact setup that I'm going to be using. So same arrows, same fletchings. You know, stabilizers and everything, and I'll shoot through paper a couple of times. And if I'm shooting bullet holes, then I just I call it good, and I go out and start shooting. Okay. And then I yeah, then I I shoot like I was kind of saying before. Then I just go out and shoot a ton, mm-hmm. basically as much as possible. And then I think every time you go out and shoot, you learn a little something more, learn something more, something you can take away. And then you start to see like consistencies of you know maybe bad flight arrow flight you know at 60 yards i'm shooting right all the time versus 20 yards i'm shooting the opposite direction mm-hmm. i think just going out there and shooting a lot and then you kind of go back to the drawing board to pinpoint you know if there's some minor details that you can clean up to shoot a little bit more accurate mm-hmm. are you shooting if, are you just shooting mostly flat shafts through paper then and like how far are you are you shooting them through paper at yeah. multiple range like yardages like are you starting at six feet and then moving back to nine feet 12 feet or you're just like, six feet it's probably like yeah six feet i'll shoot whatever the six arrows that i usually practice with or shoot with mm-hmm. i'll shoot those through you know sometimes right like a some might need like a little bit of a knock twist mm-hmm. here and there, but yeah, once it's shooting good through paper, I mean, to me, I look at it as like the bow itself right now is coming out of my string straight. The, the so arrow's coming off your string I, straight. Yeah. 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 Gotcha. Not, not the bow. Yeah. yeah. The arrow's coming out of my, out of my string straight. So I look at it as if I go out to the range, I'm not shooting accurate, you know, Probably not, you know, in the best shooter's form. Probably need to practice. So I'll just keep shooting, shooting, and then once I get that down, then I can start to see if there's any details that are popping up, mm-hmm. which like I'm running into right now. So I set this bow up like I want to say four months, three months ago, four months ago. It's a new phase four from Matthews. You know, perfectly tuned, perfect bullet holes through paper, and I've just been shooting it a shit ton, and. uh at further distances i was noticing i was shooting left a lot so like 50 60 70 80 i was always shooting left so then and then i'd go back and i'd shoot like 20 30 40 and i was always shooting right so then i you know obviously that's points to a little bit of like some your rest center shot being off a hair so 
and I mean, at the beginning, I wasn't really noticing that. A lot of times I was like shooting at 20, 30, 40, just kind of, you know, get my shooters for in. And then once I got back to those further ranges and then, you know, the more you shoot, you actually do the same thing over and over. So like you see the consistencies happening over and over again. Mm-hmm. And it's like a pretty good, pretty good detail to know, like, all right, I probably need to go look at my center shot and maybe adjust. Yeah. Your left and right. A little bit. Or maybe, maybe, but like, maybe see, your top the hat. thing is, and the thing is too, is like, I mean, for the, it's, it's harder to notice than you'd think. Like I would, like I could go shoot 3d or, you know, go shoot something like you'd shoot pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's not like a thing that you could like really, really notice. Like you could go out and get away with like shooting pretty damn good. Like you wouldn't think like, man, I'm shooting bad right now. Yeah. It's just like, you know, till you go out and shoot 80 yards a hundred times, you start to see you have the same pattern going over and over again. Yeah. So. Yeah, that makes that makes good sense. And you you're actually you're offering more, um, you know, more of a you know an argument, if you will, for doing your own work, right? Because then you start to see those inconsistencies, and then you know you can adjust those at home to fix them. Uh, versus, yeah. you know, a lot of times I think you go. To, you know, and this is, again, it's not a knock at a pro shop because definitely there's some great pro shops, but you go to a pro shop, typically you're going to tune that bow. You're probably going to shoot it with one arrow. You know, you're going to pick out an arrow and shoot it through paper and you're going to move your rest, you know, your center shot or your knocking point until you, you know, or adjust your cam timing or whatever it might be until you're shooting a bullet hole. And then, you know, they're going to send you out the door with, with a bow that's tuned and it is to that arrow. Right. But like something that you said is that you'll, you'll have six arrows or a dozen arrows and you shoot those arrows through paper to confirm that you're getting bullet hole with those arrows that you plan to, you know, practice with and then hunt with. And that's one thing that like, I would always argue is like, shoot all your arrows. Cause like, I don't know, you might pull the one arrow out of your dozen that isn't, you're not shooting the spine, you know, or, or you may tune that bow to an arrow and then, you know, maybe other arrows in your dozen are not going through paper. They're not coming out the bow the same way that that one arrow was. So yeah. that's why it's important to, to shoot many arrows or all the arrows that you plan to hunt with through paper to make sure they're tuned. And one thing, I never liked having someone shoot my bow through paper because yeah, your grip. they have different, they have different torque. They could, and for you to do that yourself, I mean, you could find out real quick, like if you have if you have bad form or if you have bad torque on your bow, your grip's not right. Like you're going to see that super clearly where some guy's going to go have perfect form, shoot your bow for you, goes, you know, perfectly through paper and then you put it in your hand and you can't get to shoot straight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, a bow is so, it's such an individual thing, even more so than I think most would probably think, you know, your, your grip, the shape of your hand. I mean, my hand, compared to somebody else's hand that lays bricks for a living, you know, they're going to have big catcher's gloves and they're going to grip the the bow differently. It's going to fit differently in their hand. You know, your draw length is a huge component to how the bow tunes. So you want, you definitely want to tune the bow to you as a shooter. So that's like another, another little feather in the cap of like, you know, figuring out doing all your work at home. Um, You know, and like, I think, I think if you, so like if, if I picked up this bow right now that I that I have, and let's say I shoot once a month, and I shoot a couple at twenty, a couple at thirty, you know, maybe a forty, and then maybe sling one at eighty and call it a day. Mm-hmm. Like I would not know that something would be wrong with my bow. 
like I would not know that my center shot is a little bit off. Mm -hmm. Cause like at those shorter distances, like I just move my side a little bit and it'd be hitting perfectly. And then, you know, I'd be shooting perfectly fine. And I went out to 80, I'm like, ah, oh, 80 is kind of far. I don't shoot it a lot. That's probably why I missed a little bit here. Yep. Yeah. Shooting at further ranges definitely tells you a lot about your, your own form. And then also about the tune you've got on your bow. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I agree completely. Um, do you do any, you know, walk back tuning, anything like that? Any other type of tuning? At what point do you start shooting broadheads and do you make adjustments there? Um, the only other tuning I'll do, I don't even know if it's necessary tuning, but it's like sighting, sighting your bow in mm-hmm. is like accurate as possible. Your pins, you mean? So, I, you know, yeah. So I like to do your vertical line, your horizontal line. Mm-hmm. So start, I'll start with like vertical line, get them all, you know, get my sight tape get my pins to the most accurate spot and then I'll do a, I guess it'd be a horizontal line and then a vertical line for like the left and right to get, get those on to make sure. Gotcha. And that, I mean, that's essentially how I saw like my center shots off, right? I go out to 80 yards. I have a, a vertical line. I'm trying to hit that line. Mm-hmm. And if everything's, you know, to one direct, one direction or the other, like you're going to see a pretty good pattern of, you know, possibly an issue that, it could be with your bow. Yeah. So it's, in, in essence, it's, it's a, yeah, like walk back tuning. So those, those of you that may not be familiar with walk back tuning, essentially what you're going to do, you put a vertical line on a target, you'll line your pins up with it. You'll shoot your 20 yard pin at the line. You'll move back in range and you shoot your same 20 yard pin at various ranges. And you'll, you'll start to see a pattern pattern, either sloping left or right. If your center shot's off a little bit. Ultimately, your goal is to stack those arrows in a line on the line that you're aiming at. So that's kind of what you're saying you do, mm-hmm. yeah. When do you yeah. when do you start shooting broadheads? Uh, I rarely shoot broadheads. I just shoot mechanicals. Gotcha. Yeah, you don't you don't put too much, I mean, thought into it. No, I shoot. Yeah, I've always. I think two. I think two years I shot a fixed blade, and those were the the helix like single bevel broadheads yep. and I, I would shoot those you know i think it was like a month or two out from season mm-hmm. but yeah most of the part i've always you know the i've always shot mechanicals do you do you shoot your mechanicals before you go hunting uh maybe a little bit just to yeah, just not, to confirm yeah 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 i'm not yeah i'll shoot them couple times and if it's nothing major i'm not usually too too worried about it and like those severs are pretty nice because you can lock them in place and shoot them so like i usually probably have like a arrow in my quiver or go through like the six arrows i'm going to shoot i'll just you know tie 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 that broadhead in there and have the blades locked down Mm -hmm. just just so i'm confident that like all right this arrow shoots straight with a with this broadhead locked into it but Usually I'll take a broadhead or two broadheads. Like I've shot the severs too. And it is cool. And I would say most, most mechanicals either, like if you buy a pack of mechanicals, they'll either come with a practice head. That's like a reasonable facsimile of the broadheads that you plan on shooting, or you have the ability like the severs to run a set screw into the ferrule, which basically locks the blades from deploying on impact. And you can shoot that without 
without dulling the blades, I would say you're still going to dull the blades a little bit because, you know, there's a little bit of that edge that pops out. But typically what I'll do is. Oh, I'm very, I never use that broadhead. I'm always yeah, too me, nervous. Me, me neither. It's like, yeah, it's. I'm always like, I can't, I can't do it. Like I might've broke it somehow in practice. Like it won't deploy. Yeah, me either. I like a fresh, fresh batch. Me too. I like a freshy. Yeah, I, I agree. But I will, I will take a practice head and you know, lock the blades in and I'll rotate that through my arrows, my five straightest arrows or six straightest arrows and shoot those at various ranges to confirm it. I, I do want to know that like every arrow and broadhead combo that I've got is going to hit the target. And I usually shoot them from, you know, a couple, you know, 20 to 80. And if we're good to go, we're good to go. Yeah. And for the most part, like the only, I mean, if you have a good tuned bow and mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're gripping and holding your bow, right? Like with mechanicals, the only, the only like small things that I've noticed is maybe like have to give a little bit of knock in, just like a twist yep. here and there. And that'll usually clean up like a, you know, if it's a little bit low, a little bit high, a little bit left or right. Yep. That seems to, to fix those pretty quick. And then, yeah, similar to what you just shoot them. Like the six arrows I know I'm going to hunt with, like my six straightest arrows shoot those and if they're all shooting perfect then i just you're good set it down and don't worry about it yeah. yeah what uh when you set your bow up uh part of setting the bow up is your sight you put your sight on you know if you run it through the riser like you do on a matthews with a bridge lock where you bolt to the side of your riser in like the more traditional way um you've got a couple of things that you need to take into consideration there which is like your first second and third access do you do you set those like up is that part of your setup process when you set up a new bow yeah. Yeah. I usually, uh, I do that fairly early on just to just have like run and get my, my sight into my bow. It's like same thing with like the setting up, like my D loop knock, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then I'll, then I'll probably like double check it once it starts getting closer to season, just to make sure, especially like the third axis, make sure everything's mm -hmm. good. in place. Good but yeah, I, I set all those. Yeah. I'll always set, which sometimes can be, it can be tricky sometimes. Yeah. It's a pain in the ass, isn't it? Some of them for sure. Oh my God. Yeah. It, it's not, it's definitely not my favorite. That's why, you know, once I have it set on, I yeah. can do it. Yeah. That's a step in the process that I don't know. I think my people, people may overlook it or, you know, if you go to a pro shop and you get your bow set up, um, I would, I would definitely, encourage you know your bow tech that's helping you make sure that before you walk out the door that your first second and third axis is are set and and your third axis i mean that might take a little bit of work you know you may have to go up to the the range or take out your block target and kick it down a hill or throw it up the hill and you know shoot some angles and some side tails and stuff to kind of confirm it and then walk it over if you need to but i think that's probably overlooked quite a bit and you can really you can really chase your tail. Like if your axes are off, I mean, you can really chase your tail on, you know, something that you, you might think is the issue, like a center shot or something like that, uh, where it might just be, you know, your sight. Right. So, right. yeah, I would say, you know, when you, when you set up a bow, try to take as many of the variables off the table before you actually head out and start putting arrows through that thing. And like, you know, really trying to get it dialed in. Just take all the guessing yeah. games out of it. I'm I'm like a huge proponent. I say it all the time, but like try to dumb it down as much as possible so that you're not chasing your tail. Yeah. And that can, that's easy to happen with archer stuff. Yeah. It's part of the, part, start, part of the fun in it though, yeah. I think. Yeah. Start overthinking shit. And mm -hmm. it's like, Oh my God. Yeah. So much of it is mental, right? I mean, 
Yeah. And it's funny when you get a bow that's set up well, uh, and everything seems to fit like your confidence in that bow and that rig. I mean, it, it grows exponentially. I feel like, you know, I've had bows that I just felt like I cannot miss with this thing. Like I just, if, if I get a shot mm-hmm. within range, like it's a dead animal and that's such a, yeah. it's such a cool feeling to have. No, no, for sure. And that's, I mean, I think that's one of the most important things just like confidence yeah and I, I think that's why maybe going back to the question you had you know about like people that say like i'm just a killer mm-hmm. i mean a lot of times they're just like super confident like, yeah yeah i agree you know it's, it's a lot of what makes them good at killing stuff yeah. is, you know they're super confident even though they don't know how to shoot a bow worth it <laughs> that's true they can, they can they can make one good shot like they're, you'd be surprised how much like just being confident can make you a better shot. Yeah, that's a good point. I think about the people that I've heard say that most often, and they're they're confident people, you know, mm-hmm. in, in various aspects of their life. They seem to be like very confident people. Um, I, w- yeah. I, w- I wanted to ask you, uh, what do you look for like in a bow, a rest, a sight, a release, an arrow? I mean, and that's a huge question, but like maybe just run through them real quick if you can. So like what are you looking for in a bow? Um... I usually like a little bit longer, you know, axle to axle. It's kind of like my main, main thing looking. I have like my, my draw length's like 29 and a half. So it's like fairly long. Mm-hmm. And then usually that string angle, nothing bothers me more than when I have to like duck my head into the string, mm-hmm. like due to like really steep string angles. And that's to find the, can be, find the, the anchor point to the tip of your yeah. nose. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you know, this the longer axle axle helps with that that string angle, and just for me, it's more comfortably shooting. So I mean, for that, that's like usually my main thing with the bow. You know, I think arrows. I think there's a lot of good arrows out there you can be playing around with, and I've always had best luck with, you know, just like a 440, 450 grain arrow. And I've shot a couple. You know, I've shot different brands. Mm-hmm here and there and you know if i keep it around that way they seem to seem to fly the best for me and i'm not i'm not like super particular and like oh it has to be this you know certain arrow i think a lot of the arrows on the market right now will good arrows will work as as long as it's like the correct spine and Mm -hmm. right now i've just been shooting the same arrow for so long like i know how to tune it i know the exact way like where to cut it you know, it always works for all my bows. I can use all the old ones I still have laying around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, so, there's, that's there's like, definitely something to that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the gold tip Pierce Platinum is what I've been shooting. And then I would say the biggest difference that can that can help with you know someone who wants to become a better shot or someone who wants to be more accurate or fighting target panic. And that, that'd be like switching over to like a hinge mm-hmm. style release or a back, a back tension style release. I think I, cause I just switched over to hinge. I think I've been shooting it for two years now, like fully committed to shooting it for two years. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely made me a better shot for sure. Yeah. Like, I think I always had a little bit of target panic. Mm-hmm. I think everybody does. Like, yeah. <laughs> if you shot a bow, a bow for very long at all, I think everybody's got some, and, some and, target panic. And everyone thinks like, all right, I have target panic. I'm shooting an index finger. Like, give me a thumb release. That'll help. Like, give me a, give me a thumb button. 
and it's, it's the same thing. Like you're pulling a trigger mm-hmm. instead of with your index finger, it's with your thumb. And if you have target panic, you can get it with that fairly easy. Yeah. And it, it was from switching from that thumb button to, uh, you know, to a hinge help, help with my target panic. Like I'm not worried about shooting. Like, yeah, just a lot more accurate, consistent, Yes, I was I was going to ask you. We, we we jumped over a little bit. We can go back here in a minute. But um, yeah, one of the questions that I had for you is because um, you're you're a good shot. Like I've I've you beat me pretty consistently. I, I, the excuse I like to make is that my eyes are just too old that you just see you, you see better <laughs> you see better than I do. So that's like the the excuse I give myself. But you uh, you pretty consistently beat me, and I, I would consider you a, a good shot. We've shot a bunch together, and I've seen you make some great shots in the field. I mean. I don't, I've never seen you miss an animal. I've seen you just absolutely, you know, pinwheel every time that we've hunted together. You've, you've killed everything that we've hunted together. So you're a good shot in the field. You're a good shot, you know, when you're shooting targets, whether it's 3D or, you know, even in the warehouse and we shoot a Vegas round. But um, I was going to ask you, like, at what point, and you kind of already touched on a little bit, you said that when you switched to a hinge, but, like, can you dive a little bit more specifically into that? Like, what is it about shooting a hinge or what was that process that you feel like has like made you a better shot? Um, can you pinpoint it? Uh, I would definitely say just like, you know, being able to, to, you know, sit on something and aim. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's, you know, usually target panic, right. Is, you know, your pins floating around and, you know, a lot of people are drive, dropping from drive by dropping. Shoot. Yeah, hits hits the hits where you want to aim and you just launch it. Mm-hmm. First, you know, with a hinge, like you're allowed to like sit and actually aim, and I think you know that's more conducive to better form, better break. You know, you're not moving around. Surprise shot, which overall is usually more accurate. Yeah, and I mean, I would say to an extent, like. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say my, my hinges like exactly surprise, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of tell myself like, all right, here we go. Like, let's, let's shoot kind of thing mm-hmm. where, you know, I, I shoot with a click. So I know it's, it's coming fairly quick after that. But I think the biggest thing, yeah, is aiming. I've been able to like actually aim and sit on a target for the first time and not be uncomfortable. Yeah. For, you know, a lot of times with target pink, you kind of get that, that anxious, anxious feeling. And I, I think what happens is you, you just inconsistency. Like you, you know, yeah, your arm was doing this. Your, you know, release was doing that. First, you know, the hinge. It's everything's just a little more calm. You're able to aim, pull through. It's you know, for the most part, it's the same thing over and over and over again. Yeah. So for you, it's is what I'm hearing you saying, and I would agree because I've kind of gone through the same process myself, but it's almost twofold. So it's, it's the ability to aim, you know, you, you feel like you can aim without having to, you know, pull a trigger. And there's also some sort of mental part of that where it essentially allows you to be less anxious in that moment. Like it, it allow it takes some of that off the table. Like it allows you to be more comfortable uh, with your pin being on your intended target versus feeling like mm-hmm. it's there right now. If I wait any longer, it's gonna move and I'm gonna miss. So I better punch it right now, right? 
So it's kind of, it's, yeah. it's kind of changed the, it's done the same thing for me. It's kind of what I hear. I think I hear you say is that it, it's kind of changed your mental management of the ability you have to put the pen yeah, on the target. It forces you to slow down. Yeah. And I mean, that's why if I can remember every bad shot that I've ever had in my life since I was 12, a hundred percent. The biggest reason why is I rushed it. Yeah. I went too fast. I didn't, didn't fully think everything through. Like I panicked, rushed it. Everything just happened way too fast. Yeah. Whereas like a hinge release forces you to slow down and like make decisions. Yeah. Instead of just like going too fast. You don't even know what happened kind of thing. Yeah. And I, I agree. I was going to ask you about, t- you know, to tell me about a time when you missed, but you kind of already touched on it. You, if you think back on the reasons that you missed, do you think that's the reason that you've missed most often in your life, whether it's a target or an animal is because you rushed it. Yeah. Rushed it. And that, and that's all built up like anxiety from target panic. Yeah. Just like you feel like there's, you know, you feel like you've been, you don't have enough time. Like the animal's there, I need to get it out now. Yeah, it's like everything's super rushed. When in reality, that just took you two seconds to pull back your bow and shoot that shitty arrow. <laughs> yeah, and you had you have a lot more time than you think. Yeah, I've always thought that too. It's uh, that feeling that you get, that anxiety, that rush of adrenaline, the your your mind telling you that you have to shoot right now, or this animal's gonna walk out of your lifetime. I think that's one of the biggest reasons that people miss. It's not the only reason, but I think it's certainly for me, it's, it's the biggest reason that I've missed is that I've just rushed it because I thought I have to right now. And if I don't, I'm not going to make this shot. When in reality is, is you can settle yourself. You can allow yourself to aim and allow the shot process to, you know, go through and, and actually execute a shot. It breaks kind of, I wouldn't say it's all, I'm like you, it's not breaking on its own. It's, you know, I kind of have an idea on when it's going to go off, but I just feel so much more at ease and relaxed. And like, those are the best shots that I've made, whether it's on a target or not on an animal. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree with you. I even noticed, so like, if you go, like, if you go back and watch, um, that Colorado OTC elk hunt that we had mm-hmm. and I shot that bull. Yep. Like I pull back, stop that thing, and I was shooting a thumb button. Like I mean, I probably, you know, I, I had maybe a little bit of target panic then, but not like so bad I couldn't like shoot straight. Mm-hmm. But like you hear me stop, and it's like boom, shot. Yeah. Like it's so it's so quick. Yeah. And I mean, it, it was a I mean it was a good shot, but still like you could just tell like it was super quick. Like I had the pin on it, and it was gone. Yeah. First. Versus one in New Mexico, this film that we'll have come out in a couple months. Like I, I watched that clip when I shot the elk. I'm like, oh my god, what am I doing? I'm sitting there forever. Yeah, you were you were at and full I, draw for a long time. <laughs> yeah. That might have been too long. That was with it. I'm like, oh my god, am I going to shoot? I don't re- like in the time. I don't remember being that long, but it was yeah a hot second. When I was pulled back. Yeah, sitting there. Yeah, and I mean the thing is, is that you followed the process and you know, the result was phenomenal. I mean, that bull didn't go 48, 40 yards and died. You made a a phenomenal shot. So, I mean, you, you allowed the the process to happen. And and I think that doesn't happen unless you've done it just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times in the off season. 
and, and mm-hmm. allowed that process to, to work itself through and you made a phenomenal shot. So like, I don't know, I, I can think back on, you know, animals that I've killed and you know, there are certain shots. I can definitely tell you like shots that I've, I've, I felt like that I punched it or I rushed it, you know, and I can definitely tell you shots. I can reference shots where I haven't. And, you know, like you're talking, like you, you shot this bull in New Mexico, you've allowed the process and you feel like you made a great shot. Like there's man, there's a lot of satisfaction in that, huh? That you like managed it. I can think back on those shots that I've made and I'm just like, man, I made the, I, I shot a sheep, what, two weeks ago in, in uh, Texas. And I had one of those where I just sat, you know, it was perfect pin sat, bow went off. You know, I, I knew that I knew, I knew it was dead when it went off, you know, right. there's, there's so much satisfaction in those. I remember when you were, cause like, I mean, you basically kind of why, you know, you, since we've known each other, you've always been shooting a hinge. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's definitely been a big influence on like why I shot a hinge just from shooting with you a bunch. I remember the first time you were, you talked about like the first animal you shot with your hinge. Mm-hmm. And like, it was like the first time you actually, you know, felt in control when yep. you were shooting. And that's a hundred percent accurate to like that New Mexico bull. So that was the first animal I've ever shot with a hinge release. And it was like the first time where I was actually, you know, felt in control, aiming, putting the dot exactly where I wanted, holding it there and like just doing my normal steps, like being in control of my shot versus hoping I would say, you know, (laughs) the, the years prior, you know, I wouldn't say I was totally in control of my shot. Yeah. Yeah. Just letting them fly. Yeah. And that's, I mean, it it goes back to confidence as well, but like, I I agree. Like there's a, that's like the biggest factor, you know, is just feeling like you have control of the process and it's from start to finish. I mean, you know exactly what it's supposed to feel like and when it executes, I mean, there's no better feeling in the world. It's awesome. I love, I love that feeling when you've executed a great shot. You're just like, yep, that's dead. And, that, and that's why we keep coming back. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, that feeling for sure. Um, I was going to ask you, do you have a shot process? Like, would you say that you have, you hear a lot of people talk about like, oh yeah, I have a shot process, you know, and you know, I've, I've thought about it. I think a lot of people say, I don't know if they actually do even myself. I felt like I've said, oh, I have a shot process. Um, I don't know that it's like yeah. super formal as I think about it, but like, do you, do you feel like you have a formal shot process? <sighs> no. I wouldn't say it's super formal. Um, I think I kind of think of doing the same things every time, right? Like grab my bow, make sure my grip's right. Mm-hmm. You know, have my hand on there, pull back, you know, line up my peep, level it out, get the pin on where I want to shoot, and then pull through fire kind of thing. Yeah. It's kind of like kind of the same. And I know, you know, obviously like shot IQ and all mm-hmm. those guys, like, I, you know, I've heard of like the benefits of having like, a, you know, whatever, a blueprint or doing like the same thing, thinking the same thing over and over. And I, I have been, you know, trying to get a little bit better at like having, you know, something where, I, I mean, essentially I am doing the same thing over and over again, but you know, yeah. sometimes I think, you know, your mind can kind of float around and that's me think about other things. I mean, it's focus, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the more focused you are, the better shot you're going to have. So, yeah, as, I, as I've thought about it, I, th- I think I do have a shot process, but I don't know that I've, it's like super formal. I'm like you, there's like certain checklists that I go through, you know, grip, 
you know, I try to raise my bow the same way, find my anchor points when I come to full draw. Um, I'm not, I'm not great always at being like, okay, here we go. You know, like this is it. I'm going to start to execute my shot. I'm not always great at that. It feels like, uh, I'm kind of, you know, when I, when I get to full draw, I, I get my anchor anchor points. There's like a point where I feel comfortable in, you know, full draw and I'm aiming, but I wouldn't say it's like super formal. Um, and I, I don't really know that, like, I always have like a catchphrase, you know, like, here we go. And, and I do it every time. Yeah. I will say that like the one thing I think about, and I've been thinking about it quite a bit is I've been shooting recently is like, I, I'm prone to like losing my focus like through the aiming process. So like I'll hit full draw, I'll find my anchor points, you know, I'm watching the pen or, you know, I'm watching the target, which I'm trying to hit. And I'm kind of letting that pin float over it. And then I'll find myself like thinking about all kinds of shit, you know, I'm not, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm really prone to that. So I was interested if you are as well. And it, it it's hard. I think that's probably, as I think about my own shot process and like my own development, uh, in archery, I think that's probably the highest hurdle for me in becoming more accurate is managing my focus in that time frame from like when I reach full draw anchor points to then actually executing the shot. Do you find that? Yeah. Yeah. It's a hundred. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. The focus definitely sometimes lacks in that. I mean, a lot of times I'll notice that like if I can't get my shot to go off, mm-hmm. like it's taking too long. Like a lot of times I'm not, I'm not, you know, fully focused on executing the shot. I tend to run into a lot of problems too, where I've noticed, like I, I tend to like fall in and out of my peep a lot. Yeah, me as well. Like you can, can't, like it, it, it's really easy to notice that when you shoot further distances. I mean, at 20, 30, 40, right? It's, it's, you might miss by an inch or two, but when you're shooting longer distances, you can see how much that can impact like where you're hitting at far down range. It's like, and it usually happens one, right? Cause you're not focused and it's taking you longer to, for your hinge to go off. So then you start to get tired and then like your head starts to move. And then like, you know, you're getting not a good square lined up peep onto your site. And then, then it's all downhill from there. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is that focus and it's hard. I know, it's really funny. Like I even know for me, like if I'm having, if I've had a stressful day at work or, you know, my personal life feels like it's a little bit stressed and chaotic. Maybe I've had too much caffeine in the day. Like I go up to the range and and I, I can definitely tell, like I don't shoot as well, you know, like there are definitely states of mind, uh, when I go to the range where I shoot better, you know? So it's, Mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's interesting. And I actually, I've been thinking like I, I ought to probably start to document those things you know, like, you know, days that I didn't shoot that well, like think about my day, maybe write it down, just like keep a little, a little shot log journal of like, you know, what, what did I do this day that caused this result? And what did I do on a day where I shot really well? You know, I think that would be interesting to kind of track over time. And that's where I kind of do see the benefit of having like a hard, you know, checklist that you're doing, right. Cause it essentially makes you do the same thing in your mind over and over again. Yep. So it's like, it's, it's kind of hard for you to float around or, you know, get unfocused. Yeah. Worry about something else. Yep. I agree. A lot of my times too, is I'll be, you know, shooting and I'll start to like, I'll start thinking about something stupid, like 
God, my hand feels kind of weird on the bow. Or <laughs> yeah. Mike Griffin, you know, you started thinking about like other tweaks that you're making and that's downhill. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I've got you for, I've had you for an hour and 25 minutes, but before we go, I'm going to try to hit like that 130 mark. Uh, I wanted to run through some just like rapid fire questions. You know, you don't need to go into like a deep justification of why you do the thing that you do or what, you know, why you select the thing that you select. But I did want to ask, um, so like peep site size. Uh, so I've done a lot of back and forth on this mm-hmm. and I'm for sure three sixteenths. Okay. And yeah. And extra light. My, my, no, I mean, that is obviously a good thing. I mean, you do get extra light on those, you know, morning or evening, mm-hmm. especially on a hunt. But for me, a lot of it's the, the movement that I see from my, my site. So being, I mean, it's the same thing as, you know, similar to binoculars, right? The bigger magnification, mm-hmm. you know, binoculars are, the more zoomed in you are, the more movement you can see. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I found with smaller peep sites. The more like zoomed in I am on my, my site, I see more movement, which mess with your head. Make, yeah. It makes me a little more anxious and I don't like that. And I think too, I've just shot a 316 for so long that I'm like super comfortable with it. Yep. Is that, but, but yeah, and that was through trial and error, right? You've tried different sizes and you just have, have yeah. kind of tracked it and you find that you're more accurate with three sixteenths, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just shoot, shoot three sixteenths a lot, gotcha. a lot better for some, for some, my, my own odd, odd reasons, yeah. but yeah, I'm uh, I like a five thirty second. So kind of in between the two, between like an eighth and, and a three sixteenths. Um, what do you think about uh distance of your sight away from your riser? Like, where do you set that up? How much do you tinker with it? Well, I like to have it set up right so like my my peeps like perfectly aligned with your housing. Yeah, aligned with with my housing, which you know shooting a three sixteenth, being a little bit on the bigger end, like my my housing's usually a little bit closer to my bow. Which I mean, all of that goes back to right. It's like if your housing's a little closer to your bow, you see less movement. You have a bigger piece set. Like I'm just seeing a lot a lot less movement with with my setup. Yeah. So I see a lot of guys that push it all the way out as far as they possibly can from the riser. And I think, I think in a lot of way or a lot of reasons, I think they do it because it looks cool. You know, it looks <laughs> it's yeah. like, Oh man, look at this. I got this giant six inch or eight inch dovetail site and I've got it pushed out completely away from my riser. And like, it looks, it looks kind of cool. And I think they're also working under the assumption that, you know, the further that distance, the more accurate it is. Like, you know, the a front sight on a rifle and a rear sight on a rifle. I mean, a further distance, you know, the, the more accurate, if you will. But I think that there's a whole lot more that goes into being accurate than just that distance. You know, there's things like you're talking about, like how anxious, like how much sight movement do you have? Um, how clearly can you see your pens? How closely does your sight align with your peep sight? There's like all those little things that I think are worth considering versus just sticking that thing out as far as away from the risers you can and just, you know, yeah. seeing how it goes. Yeah. I mean, you mo- what I would tell somebody is postpartum, right? Have your peep site aligned. Mm-hmm. Like you don't want so much space around your, your site housing when you're looking through your peep site. Like, you know, you want it fairly tight, like even with your, with your site. So I, whatever distance that is to match your, your peep, I think is usually a good, starting point yeah i i agree uh stabilizer setup and why just real quick 
I have right now. I have the the AAE stabilizers. I think on the front. I think I have a twelve and a ten right now. Twelve inch front bar. Ten yeah, inch, twelve inch, 10 front inch bar, back bar. bar. And then, I mean, I have shot the, you know, a fifteen and a twelve. Mm-hmm. I think you know whatever's most comfortable, whatever you're feeling good, shooting best with that year. Like I could easily throw it on a 15 right now and be like, damn, I'm shooting so much better with this than I'll usually keep it. Yeah. It's that new, like, new uh, gear syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. But yeah, for the most part, I'm not, I'm not too worried about like shooting a bigger stabilizer. You know, I'm looking for ultimately like what I'm shooting best. Yeah. And what's most comfortable to me, like what's most accurate. So if that means having a 15 inch front bar and a 12 inch back bar, then like I'll hundred percent shoot it. Yeah. And it doesn't bother me to lug that around the woods. Gotcha. And I haven't had any issues of like not enough room to, you know, shoot where I'm like bumping into shit with a 15 inch bar. Yeah. The only time I have is like shooting out of a blind or the blind is tricky. Yeah, the blind one I've I've had to pull front bars off or switch the the front bar and the back bar just to to get the length short enough on the front mm-hmm. bar that I could shoot it out of a blind. And that's even been like on a makeshift blind. I remember I shot a coos deer in in Arizona out of just like a a you know blind that I brushed in, and I drew back on a buck that came in. It wasn't a very big buck, but I drew back and I was like my front bar was resting on part of the you know the the brush which was a problem so i i figured out pretty quick that that wasn't going to work but that's the only time i've ever had any issues um yeah uh weight wise what are you shooting front weights back weights do you know i think i have i have three ounces on the front and then i got five ounces five ounces on the back three and five is what i'm shooting gotcha um Rest. I know. I know that you sh- you've been shooting the HHA, right? Drop away, cable, cable driven rest. I have the the Hamsky Epsilon. Gotcha. Okay, that's a lim- yeah, I got limb, the, limb driven. Yeah, limb driven Hamsky Epsilon. I got that on. Which I will say for like setting up an arrow rest, that one's that one's like super easy. Yeah, that's what like comes. It comes with like the 316 or the 1316 center shot which is like specs for you know matthews and yep good starting spot. And it has kind of yeah it, it has everything kind of like in good starting points for you for like up and down and right and left mm-hmm. and then put it on there and then you know shoot and see see if they're shooting straight but yeah you know, for like setup and i've always i've always used uh hamsky rest it's got micro adjust so yep. super nice if you do want to make tiny adjustments you can do that yeah i will say i i, I do like a limb driven rest for that same I, I just think they're easier to set up i mean and it might just be that you don't have to run you know the drop away cord through your cable your down cable on your bow you just tie it mm-hmm. tied in your lower limb and it does feel like it's a little bit easier for whatever reason to, to set up so i got a question for you have you mm-hmm. uh have you ever messed around with where it is on the limb yeah and a lot of, I mean, I don't, I don't think the differences are all that much because I mean, if you look at these, these bows now, I mean, they're so parallel limbed anyway, you know, the, the difference between the tip of your limb and then, you know, kind of the middle of your limb, it's like not that much difference. And when that rest is going to drop away, uh, I have tied, I've had some issues tuning with like trying to 
use that cord uh, tied onto the actual like tip of the limb. So like Hamsky makes the little, you know, device mm-hmm. that you can replace the the little block that goes actually through your limb. And I've had some tuning issues there for whatever it might be. I don't know if it's just not dropping quick enough. I would think that it would be. I don't know what the issue the issue is exactly, but I've had some tuning issues there. But I have moved that around uh, to get a tune to work for me. And it. Yeah. And and I think it's mostly just, um, you know, there's probably a lot of factors, you know, maybe there's, I don't know, maybe there's something in, in left and right because you're putting a little more pressure at some point on that limb, or maybe it's, you know, timing of when that thing dips out. Uh, but I have had to move rest, drop away arrow rest Mm -hmm. in different locations on my limb to get it to tune. Yeah. Yeah. I've always, I've looked into it. I've done a little bit, but yeah, most, I don't know, some people who don't know, but yeah, usually that's going to change, mm-hmm. you know, the timing of when your rest is going to go down. If you move it around on your limb a little bit, yeah. it can be quicker or it could be slower depending on what you're rolling. But yeah, for the most part, I usually try to go like fairly like straight, straight down for my rest, maybe back a little bit more. Yep, same. But yeah, like on a Matthews bow, if you get that block that goes through the limb, the end of your limb tip, I usually tie that cord in, you know, maybe an inch or half inch just in front of right. it. Yep. Kind of, kind of towards the, the bottom end of that limb where it starts to flatten out, where, where the limbs are pretty parallel at this point mm-hmm. on most bows. But yeah, I've had some tuning issues and I've monkeyed with that a little bit just to get it to tune better. So it is something that you definitely want to, you want to think about that. I, I don't think that the difference is significant you know it's minimal but it can be enough that it causes you a tuning issue for sure right yeah uh sites i know i wanted to ask you and i don't i don't really want to touch on what brand per se that you're shooting right now but i just did real quick you know two pin single pin multi-pin so i've shot all of them yeah i know you have that's why, <laughs> that's why I asked. i've shot i've shot all of them and i've i think i've killed something with each setup i think I think they're all good for various reasons, depending on the shooter. So single pin, I'd say, you know, spot and stock, like mule deer, spot and stock, antelope. Mm-hmm. A lot of times you have time to like, you know, range, and make an adjustment. And I always, I always like that because then I know I'm making it, I'm going to make a more accurate shot. Right. Yeah. So instead of like pin gapping a 36 you know, with a multi-pin, I'm able to dial exactly to that so that my chance of error is a lot less. So I always like to, a single pin for spot and stock. Uh, and then for, for elk hunting, I used double pin for a while, which I liked. I still liked, I still like that aspect of dialing, knowing I'm going to be, you know, as accurate as possible. Mm-hmm. But then you having that, that backup of, you know, if the elk did go, 15 yards difference, 10 yards difference. You have that like secondary mark Mm -hmm. that you can also use. And basically how I set up my double pin, right. Is I do, there's like a a 20, I set my top pin at 25. So, you know, 25, if you're shooting at 15 yards, you're like an inch or two high, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's not that much difference. And then if you shoot 25 at 30, you know, you're a couple inches low. So you kind of, you kind of have like your, zero to 30 covered with that top pin and then uh that bottom pin was like from 40 and out which i thought would cover most of my base for 
for elk, usually like 40 yards, you know, if you're getting a further shot than that, it can be kind of tricky due to yeah. due to where you're shooting elk at in dark timber. Like it's kind of hard to get past the 40 yard third shot for most, most of the part, but yeah. Do you have one that's your favorite? Is it, is it double pin? Would you say? Uh, well now I shoot three, I shoot three, three pin. pin. Okay. Which I really liked. I started shooting that last year, you know, especially for, especially for elk, you know, just an additional reference it's, point. It's, it's, it's really hard to tell like where they're coming in, what yard they're going to be at. So, and I think, you know, I'm probably a little more confident in my shooting ability and like being able to gap and hold and mm-hmm. aim, which is probably due to shooting a hinge. And you also have, uh, the versatility if you do want to dial, yeah, dial in. So, yeah, which, which is added benefit if you want to touch one out there a little bit further yeah. and want to be more accurate, or if you have time, like you can still dial that thing to yeah. 36 yards, but yeah, having you know, 20, 30, 40 covered, like no, for sure. Like if an elk comes in at one of these yardages, like it's done for. So we, and when you, it's probably, probably my favorite so far so when you you set up you so if you're shooting a three pin when you set your side up and you make your sight tape are you setting up your sight tape so that your 20 yard pin is your rover so that you can move your 20 to 36 yards are you setting it up and cutting your tape so that you're using your bottom pin from 70 80 90 100 yeah it's my my bottom pins the is the one i use to move yeah, to move around. Gotcha. So that that does. I mean, that would eliminate you the ability, if you would, to to move your top pin and use that for those in between yardages from twenty to sixty. Yeah. So for those, you're probably pin gapping still. Well, I mean, technically, I could I could still use my bottom pin. I just adjust it. Yeah. I mean, you, so my, you could still use it. It's just not. It's it's different than setting up your sight so that your twenty yard right. pin has all right. those different ranges from 20 to a hundred. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. And that's what I do too. I mean, I, I shoot multi pens, whether it's three, I've got three right now on this, uh, what site is it that I've got on this bow? Oh, the new dialed that arc arc dose site. Uh, so it's, it's got, I think it's got three pins. Yeah. Three pins, three fixed. Um, but, and that's essentially what I've, it's been kind of interesting because I've never shot a three pin side. I've always shot five, you know, and I've screwed around with single pin sites before in the past and ultimately went back to multi pin sites. But, um, it has been kind of fun and interesting to set that dial, that dialed site up so that that top pin, uh, sighted in at 20 yards, but I can dial that thing all the way down to a hundred and it's sighted in the whole way, which is kind of interesting. And then with those lower two pins, I don't even know how far I could get out of that. I bet I could get 130 yards, 140 yards out of it with that bottom pin on, on that site. So it's been kind of interesting to play with. And I don't know if I'll stick with it or not. Like I said, historically I've been, you know, five pins and, and then like you, I've cut my sight tape so that, uh, the indicator sits on 60 yards and then I've got 70, 80, 90, and I use my bottom pin as the floater. So interesting. Yeah. I, interesting. For, mine, for mine, I won't, I won't cut my sight tape. You just leave it. I'll put a, I'll put a 20. Yeah. So like I'll shoot my, I'll shoot my bottom pin at 20 Yep. and then I'll shoot my bottom pin at 16 and I'll put that sight tape. You're, and I'll, you, I'll you have mean, the full thing on there. You mean your top, so top, if I, pin. If I, top, top, top at 20, bottom at 60. Is that what you're saying? No. no. Okay. No. 
No, so you just, I'll shoot my 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 third pin. I'll shoot that at twenty, mm -hmm. and then I'll shoot it at whatever sixty, and I'll get my sight tape, and then that'll be like, and I'll shoot that sight tape to make sure it's like pretty accurate. Yep. And then I'll put so anytime I'm like on on the sight tape, I'll have that marker at you know the the forty yard mark. Yep. And then I'll sight it. Then I'll sight in my twenty and thirty pin. Gotcha. I'm tracking. Yeah. And then, so essentially like I still have the adjustability with my bottom pin. Like if I, if I wheel my bottom pin all the way to 20, like it'll shoot perfectly fine at 20. Yeah. But if I move it all the way to 40, 60, 70, like it shoots perfectly fine. Gotcha. Uh, cool. So I've got, I'm going to, I'm going to try not keep you too much longer, but just real quick, uh, release, what release are you using? And you just, just say the model. I got the UltraView Hinge 1. The the OG, not the 2. The OG. I have the 2, but for some reason I shoot the 1 better. There you go. You heard it here first. <laughs> Sorry, Colby. <laughs> I, I, I have the 2. I have the button. I don't know what it is. I think it's just because I'm so comfortable with it, and I've shot it the longest. Yeah. That It just, I don't know, for some reason... Yeah. Just keep going back to it. You and I were talking. I've got the one. I don't have the one, but I have the two. And I've played with your one, your your hinge, the, the original hinge. And, you know, something that I, I talked about with you is I feel like the rounded edges, maybe it's a little bit more rounder. Uh, the original OG hinge. Uh, the hinge two is a little bit flatter. Sits a little bit flatter through your, you know, your fingers, the pad of your, your fingers as you're holding it. I feel like maybe you're right. I feel like there's something to that. Maybe a little more rounded edges seems to go off a little bit easier. And, and I kind of, mm -hmm. I kind of agree with you. Um, but yeah, I, and again, I, I think there's something to having just shot a release a lot and just gotten used to it. Cause right. I've got my old, my, my old reliable is a uh, Trueball HT pro, which is a brass four finger release. And, you know, that was like one of the first hinges that I transferred over to once I got out of shooting a, a trigger release. And I don't know, man, that one's really hard for me to get away from because I've just shot it for so long. It just feels like home. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. One more, a couple more quick ones before I go. What's your favorite bow you've ever had and why? Oh, God. Can you think of one that you're just like, man, that thing just smacked? Um. The V the V3 X, that was the one that we had in Alaska, yeah. right? Last year's bow. The V the V3 X I really liked. Um the Halon X. Mm -hmm. I shot that for a while. I really liked that bow a lot. Gotcha. Yeah, 30, 35, then, 35 inches on the Halon X and thirty three axle axle on the V three X. Right. Yep. I and another one I shot way back in the day that I shot really good was the the Hoyt Carbon Defiant. Mm -hmm. It's like they came when they first came out like the buckskin. Yep. I remember you shot that white tail in uh Iowa with it. Big white tail. Yeah. I shot that I think that one was like thirty four. Yeah. Axle to axle. Yeah. The uh I even had eighty pound limbs yeah, on that bad boy. I remember. I was crazy. You were back. you were a man back then. <laughs> Was that's it that's it i had uh i had the original like the og like the original carbon matrix from hoyt which was 35 inches axle to axle and i think i i traded that to a buddy for some taxidermy work 
and uh, he's still shooting that bow. But I, for whatever reason, I agree that bow just smacked. Like it really shot well. I'd agree with you. Mm-hmm. The same. The the Halon X was one of my very favorite bows. Uh, the Matthews. Uh, what would it have been? I'm trying to the Adrenaline LD. I love that bow, which was 37 inches axle axle, and like the skinny limbs. I don't know if you remember that one. That's a big dog, 37. Yeah, yeah I killed a bull in Utah with that thing. Yeah, back bars in the whole nine. But, yeah, 37, 37 inches axle to axle. But that thing seemed to, to hold and aim really well. And I go back and look at that bow. It's really funny because it's, like, really skinny limb. That was, like, when they had a single limb, but it was, like, this wide. And the riser in that thing was real super skinny. It was it was pretty lightweight. And I had a hell of a time trying to get that bow to tune. But for whatever reason, I just shot that bow really well. So every, everybody always has a bow that they like, you know, they look back on it with nostalgia just because they loved it and it shot well. So I wanted to ask uh, you. Right. All right. Final question I got for you. Then I'm going to cut you loose. Uh, 180 inch buck, mule deer buck with your bow or 350 inch bull? 350 bull. All day? Oh yeah. That's right, Brady. Take that. Gotta go with the big boy. Yeah, I I agree. Well, cool, man. I appreciate you. It's been an hour and forty five minutes with me. Um, we'll have to catch up when we're not just talking bows and arrows and stuff. But I, thanks for thanks for jumping on. You've always been a yeah, thanks. You've always been a good friend, you know. And I always felt like good good chemistry with you right from the jump. And so I knew you'd always be a good hunting partner. And you're one of the guys, and there aren't very many that have always been like, yeah, absolutely. If, if Neville wants to go hunting, let's go hunt. We've had some good times. Huh? We have, man. Look at good the, mem- our, our chemistry. <laughs> our chemistry is so good. We woke up Same shirt. today and like, hey, we should put this shirt on. That's it. That's <laughs> it. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. I hope you have a, a good yeah. rest of your day. Tell that be high for me. Yeah, we'll do. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, bye. All right. Frontal for the win. Hell yeah.